According to Jesus, those who are in the kingdom, those who are in the kingdom of God, are those who love God with all their hearts, souls, minds, and strength, and who love their neighbors as themselves. Now, don't, don't misunderstand what I said. The order is important. Those who are in the kingdom act this way. They don't act this way in order to get in the kingdom. The passage before us this morning leaves us with this question to ponder. A very important question to ponder. The most important question to ponder. Are we in the kingdom or are we only close to it? So if you're not already there, turn to the gospel of Mark. Mark is in the second half of the Christian Bible. It goes Matthew, Mark. It's the second book of the second half of the Christian Bible. If you've, never, uh, if you've never read the Bible before, those large numbers, bold numbers, are chapter numbers. The little numbers are verse numbers. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. And God not only spoke his word to us, friends, but through men he wrote his word down. So hear, hear God's word to you. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he had answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love the Lord, your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. And to, have him and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifice. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I wonder why I was reading, did you notice some, a repeated phrase in that, in that section of scripture? those seven verses it's one of the ways to understand what the writer's trying to get across is to notice repeated words and phrases so when you're reading your bible you should pay attention to that the most the repeated repeated phrase in that section was most important did you notice after all the questions after all the attempted tripping and trapping by other religious leaders this scribe comes to jesus uh, he comes to him individually, and, and he asks him, which is the most important commandment of all, in verse 28? And Jesus answers what seems to be this man's sincere question. And he answers it, did you notice he didn't answer it with another question? Jesus typically does that with uh, people. He answers, you know, insincere questions or, or questions that are, aren't quite proper with other questions to try to to try to uh, you know Socratically to draw out from these people either what they know or to 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 cut knowledge off for them 
And so here Jesus is, though, he's answering this man with a straightforward answer. That should tell us something about the question. The most important, Jesus says in verse 29, the most important question gets a most important answer. And the scribe agrees with Jesus' answer in verse 33. He's agreeing that the double law of love is much more important than whole burnt offerings and sacrifice. And then I think implicitly in the last part of this section is the most important response. Jesus answers the man that you're not far from the kingdom. I think within that is an implicit response, a most important response that we should have. So that's the, that's the outline that we're going we're gonna to work from. Number one, the most important question. Number two, the most important answer. Three, the most important agreement. And fourth, the most important response. I'll spend most time on uh, point number two. So just so you're wondering, hey, why is he going so long on this section? That's, that's why. I think it's, it's most important. One of you laughed. That was good. Okay. So the most important question, this particular, so this particular scribe, uh, not really, he wasn't really interested in the speculative theology of the Sadducees. You remember Davey preached a couple messages ago about the, the question from the Sadducees about resurrection. And the Sadducees are asking Jesus about the resurrection when they actually didn't even believe in it. They, were, they couldn't have been more insincere. They're trying to trip Jesus up. They're trying to trap him. They're attempting to, to get him caught with the religious people. The scribe doesn't seem to be like them, and he doesn't seem to be like the Pharisees either, who tried to trap him with Rome. Remember, he asked them, he, uh, the Pharisees asked Jesus, you know, who should you pay tribute to, Caesar? Should you pay tribute to Caesar? And, and Jesus answers them wisely, and they're shut up. But they tried to do that to, in order to trap Jesus. This man seems to have a sincere question about Jesus' belief. Was Jesus orthodox? Did Jesus have the right doctrine according to the Old Testament? But more importantly, he was wondering if the Son of God believed the most important question of life. What were we created for? What were you created to do? Jesus' answer shows that we were created for a purpose. Friend, if you are skeptical about Christianity, or if you're skeptical that there is actually a higher purpose in life, I would invite you to to just think about historically how many people, almost all people in all of history, have believed, if they haven't believed in Jesus, they believe that there was some sort of higher power, if not God. Why do you think that is? I would invite you to talk to the people around you. If you're skeptical about Christianity, just talk to the people around you who are here to worship God. Talk to them and ask them why they believe there can be a God. And, and then I would ask you just to read the Bible for itself, just to explore the Bible's message and, 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 and how it talks about there just being this God, there's assumption of this God. So if you're skeptical to Christianity, I just, I just want to put your mind at ease. It's okay. It's okay to explore the most important question of life. Even if your friends think it's a little crazy, it's all right. You can explore Explore the truth. 
there are most important questions, and this is one of them. What is the purpose of life? Is there a purpose of life? The scribe was asking Jesus what the purpose of life was by asking what was the summary of this Old Testament law. So, you know, you can look at this and be like, man, did that scribe, was he just asking like which of the 613 commandments he could break? Like which ones are really most important, Jesus? You know, and, and which ones can I keep and not keep? That's not what he was asking. And that's not how Jesus answered him. He's asking for an old, a summary of the Old Testament law. What does it all mean? What do all these commandments mean and how do they fit together? Jesus gives the man a straight answer. And that is the most important answer. What were you created for? You were created for a purpose. What were you created for? Jesus says in verse 29 through 31 is to love God with your whole being. And to love your neighbor the same way you love yourself. So Jesus answers, he answers by quoting Deuteronomy uh, 6, 4 through 5. It's called the Shema. Hebrew people, Jewish people called it the Shema. It's the Hebrew word for hear. So it's listen up to the most important reality of all of life. This is what Deuteronomy is saying. This is what Jesus is saying. This is a foundational reality. The Lord our God, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. The second part of the answer, the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. One of my earliest memories is sitting on my dad's lap in Des Moines, Washington, uh, while he was helping me memorize these two verses. And I don't remember exactly how he did it. I just remember him smiling, trying to teach me uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. He, he was helping me with the most fundamental question and reality of all of life. And a side tangent here, friends, there are lots of kids among us. Uh, one day you might have children. Uh, you, you might be able to help disciple the children in this church. So side tangent is catechesis is one vital way to pass on our faith. I, I don't know if I would be a Christian pastor without it. My dad, he was sitting me on his knee and he was just, he was just following Jesus' example. What's the most important question of life? He was telling me as a four-year-old, it's to love God with all your heart. This is what you're created for. So get with the purpose. And if you wonder what you should give your life to, if you wonder if there is a purpose in life, remember this. There is one God, and you were created to love him with your whole being and to love all his other creatures just like you love yourself. Did you notice how the command is phrased? You are to love him completely with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's, it's a totalizing command. But if you think of yourself as a house, right, with, with rooms, you know, you go to your house, that's dad and mom's room, that's my brother's room, that's my sister's room. This is my room, right? No one is allowed in my room. Did you ever have that sign on your, on your door? Stay out. But not, not with you as God's house. Every room in the house is God's. 
Every room belongs to him. He's the owner of it all. Nothing's off limits to him. And all you have, God has said, must be devoted to a single purpose. That is to love God. So how are we going to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength? I just want to take those four things and just discuss them a little bit, okay? So what does God mean when he says, love him with all your heart? You know, in the Bible, the heart is not just a blood pumping station, as one writer put it. It's not just the place where blood is pumped to various areas in your body. But the heart is the command center, right? It's the, it's the command center of the body. It's where decisions are made. It's where plans are hatched, right? It is the, it's the center of our inner being, which it controls our feelings, our, uh, our emotions. It controls our desires and our passions. The question is, who has your heart? Is it God? Or is it someone or something else? If it is anyone or anything other than God then that other thing has control of your feelings, your emotions, your desires, and your passions. So let's just say that that thing that has your heart is uh, your reputation. Guarding your reputation. Your reputation is the most important thing to you. It has your heart. It governs everything then you are going to be animated by and make decisions based around guarding your reputation. You, you, you may lie, you may make excuses, but if your reputation is the most important thing, you will do anything to guard it because it has your heart. Maybe for you it's not reputation. Um, maybe for you it's love of ease. Maybe the thing that governs your heart is the love of, of ease, then what governs your decisions is feeding that love. So you're going to give in to binge watching on Netflix more than you probably should. You are going to give in to not having that hard conversation with that person who has either sinned against you or sinned in general. And that governs our heart at times in a way that makes us do things that show that we are not governed by the love of God. All of us, friends, yours truly included. But if God has your heart, then he governs it and your desires, your passions will be submitted to him. When, when, you, uh, when, when you sin, right? Because you're going to sin. It's not like you're not going to sin while you're still on this earth. You are going to love ease. You're going to try to guard your reputation. You're going to do all the other. You're going to seek for power. You're going to do all of these things. But when God governs your heart, when you sin, you will not seek to guard your reputation. But you'll confess your sin. You, you will seek to make restitution. That's loving God with our heart. You know, he also says to love God with all your heart and all your soul. The soul is closely related to the heart. The soul has the idea of life and vitality. It's, it's what energizes your being. 
And, and in concert with your heart, it, 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 makes, it, it makes decisions. You know, you, you make decisions by what energizes your heart and soul. What does your soul love? What is it energized by? Answering these questions, it can help you kind of make progress towards what the most important reality of all of life. Am I giving myself to other things besides God? God made you to glorify and enjoy him. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we energized and are we, do we love God with all of our hearts or do we love his gifts more? He also says to love God with your mind. God has not made us only emotional beings, right? When we think of a heart, sometimes we think of emotions, you know. The heart is the, it's the symbol for Valentine's Day and for true love. And, and, but God has not made us only emotional beings. He has made us analytical creatures as well as emotional beings. And some of us struggle one way or the other, right? We're too emotional, we let it govern us, or we're, we're too heady and we, we let our mind govern us without, without considering emotion. We are not to pit one against the other. God means for us to know in order that we might govern our emotions, right? The emotions that he gave us. They are to be governed. They are not to control us, but they are to be governed by what we know about God and, and his word. It's the first point of intake, right? It's through the mind. You were meant to love God with your whole mind. Thinking it's not something to be feared. Or only for, you know, big-brained people that have photographic memories. Loving God with your mind is for people like you and me. It's for us to Ordinary folks, right? Just ordinary people. You as well are meant to love God with your mind. We are meant to, we are not meant to leave the thinking to those who are getting PhDs. God created you to love him with your brain. So think, friends. Love God with your mind. Read books that are hard to understand. Have conversations with people that are smarter than you. Take classes that will help you understand the truths that govern this world. And it's true that we can oversize, overemphasize, or underemphasize, right? And, and if you're honest, if I'm honest, I'm guilty of both at different times in my life. Overemphasizing or underemphasizing. The loving God with our minds. But he has called us to do this. He has called us to... To use our brains to take in the truths of God and his world in order to live a good life and to love him. So read the Bible. Read books that challenge your mind. I, I want to be careful here. I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings. But I, I would suggest that you read Puritan authors over the Jesus calling. You should read books that have a high view of God, like Stephen Charnock's The Attributes of God. And you should let it press you. You should read, you, you should read Jonathan Edwards and William Perkins 
over 90 minutes in heaven. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm telling you, this is a way you can love God with your mind. Telling us things about who God is. Friend, love God with your heart, soul, mind, and love him with your all your strength. That is uh, your possessions, the things that he's given you to possess. You know, every, all of us have something to give. Every one of us has, has some sort of possessions, you know, even if it is the, the widow's two mites. But we have something we can give. But it, we also, this also actually limits what we can give. You should love God with all the capacities he gave you. Not what he gave other people. He doesn't want me to love him with the strength he gave Josh Armentano. He does not want me to love him with the capacities he gave Benjamin Clark. And I'm glad because I'm terrible at science and math. You know, he doesn't ask me to love him with all the strength of David Platt or John Piper as a preacher. He asked me to love him with the strength he gave me. He, he asked me to steward those gifts well and, and get better at the things that he's given me to do. But if you or I continually compare ourselves with other people and their gifting, it shows that we don't understand this command. Like I said before, think of the widow's might. Then Josh Armentano, Lord willing, will be preaching that next Sunday, that passage next Sunday. But she was so captivated by the work that God was doing in the world that she gave everything she had, probably everything she had for that day, for that, the meals that she was going to eat that day. She didn't care that it was nothing compared to others. She didn't, she didn't, it didn't matter to her that uh, in comparison to other people, it was just, a, it was just very small. The, the commandment was to give what you have. Love God with all your strength. And here's this widow loving God with her strength. There's much more to be said about this commandment, but this is the first and greatest commandment. Love God with all your being. And love him not the way you define love, but the way he defines it. With all your heart, soul, mind and strength. So we get this command right, everything flows from it. Everything else flows naturally. All the other 613 commands of the law were, were built on this premise that you love God with all your heart. Augustine said, I think it was Augustine, love God and do what you want. Right? Love God and do what you want. Because if you love God like you're supposed to, you will want to do all the things God wants you to do. This is not where Jesus ends. He doesn't end with loving God only. He says to love your neighbor as yourself. He goes on to the second greatest command. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love others according to your highest ideals. Love others the way you want to be loved. Now, I understand, you know, uh, what if you struggle with self-hatred? What if you struggle with uh, uh, inner thoughts of, of hating yourself? How, how do you love people like yourself when you don't like yourself? That's a good question. 
But I think self-hatred is a misunderstanding of how God created you. Self-hatred, it's, it's a strange form of pride, do you know? You don't like who you are because you think you know how you should have been created. But God created you for who you are, who he wanted you to be. So how should you love others when you hate yourself? Well, I think according to the scripture, we treat others according to our highest ideals. You know how you want to be loved. You know how you want to be treated and accepted, don't you? you how you want to be valued for who you are. Jesus is saying, do that for people. Love them for how God made them, not for how you wish them to be. So see in them the image of God and treat them as eternal beings because that is what they are. Jesus is saying, Jesus is telling us that this is, that self-love is normal, okay? But when self-love crosses over the first and the second greatest commandments, then you're loving yourself too much. So it's not proper. Self-hatred is not right. You are supposed to love others like you love yourself, friend. The way you protect yourself, the way you guard yourself, the way, the way you feed yourself. You're supposed to do that for other people. But love God and love others. I wonder how, what this looks like for us. What is loving our neighbor like we love ourselves look like in this church. You know, in John 13, Jesus told us how the world will know that we are his disciples, how the world will know that God is love. In 34 and 35, he says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what are some ways we can express that love? What are some ways that you can express that love to other people in this assembly? Well, it's like you are doing this morning. Show, show up. Gather together as God's people to worship God and edify the brothers and sisters, to build up the brothers and sisters. That's one way we can do it. How does this show love? How does showing up show love? Well, it shows love when we're active in the assembly. When we show up early to, to talk to people who are new. We stay late to talk to people afterwards and ask them how they're doing. But during the assembly, during, when we're gathered to worship God corporately, you know, one of the things we do, everyone is a minister in this church on Sunday mornings. God has commanded you, brother and sister of this church, to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You're supposed to do that to one another. So did you know that when you come to church, this isn't your like personal time with God? You are singing and teaching other people in the congregation about who God is. You have a role to play. And, and I know, so, you know, 
You might not know some of the songs. One of the things that Sean has tried to do is put all the songs that we're going to sing on Sunday morning on Spotify. It's called the Sunday Gathering Playlist. And you can listen to that. You can get to know the songs before Sunday morning. And, and God has called us to be ministering to one another. What a privilege. God has given you tangible ways to love your neighbor as yourself. Sing in the corporate worship. You know, when, when uh, if someone in my community group shares a struggle with me or the group, you know, and, and I know it has not been resolved by that Sunday, but they show up anyway and they sing that the joy of the Lord is their strength, that friend is, it's teaching me that God is good even when my struggles are not resolved. So if I turn around and look at you singing, that's one of the, one of the things I, I'm, I'm looking for. I need you to be testifying to me that God is good even when my circumstances aren't. This is not only, it says not only glorifies God, it also builds us up. It builds one another up. So be thinking about that. You know that person that has admitted a struggle to you or, or has admitted they're going through a hard time? When, when they sing, it is well with my soul, they're singing that through faith. And that's meant to teach you that it can be well with your soul too. They're singing, my sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. It is well with my soul. So when we come together, we are teaching one another through songs. When we, you know, when we, or if we ever read corporately together scriptures, we're confessing to one another that God has spoken to us. It's a faith once for all delivered. We're ministering to one another. You know, when you come together as a church, you love one another by making the church visible to each other and to the world. You're telling other Christians, you, I have your back. You're, we're together in this. That you care about their spiritual upbuilding and, and you're receiving theirs of you. You didn't, did you think showing up to church could do all of that? Friends, it does that and more. Another way to do this is through personal discipleship relationships. Personal discipleship relationships are, uh, uh, they're another way to love your neighbor as yourself. So if you don't know how to do this, you know, I, I would love to talk to you about it or one of, the, one of the people in our church would love to talk to you about it. Uh, but if you don't know what to do, just start by spending time with people and talking to them about Jesus. Reading the Bible together. You know, I, uh, I have 10 copies of this book that you, I want to give away. It's called Discipling by Mark Dever. How to help others follow Jesus. 
that's one way you could, you could start is just by reading that book and then have a conversation with somebody about a discipleship relationship. Don't wait to do it. This is how you can build one another up in the Lord. This is how you can love your neighbor as yourself. So after service, just come down and first come, first serve. Please get one of these books and start a discipleship relationship. Have a conversation with somebody. Ask someone to read the Bible one-to-one. It's one way you can do that. Here's the last way that you can love your neighbor as yourself in this assembly. It's hospitality. It's the love of strangers that is inviting and welcoming people into your life who are strange to you. Right? They're strangers to you. You don't know them. That's the whole point of hospitality. Hospitality among people we know is really easy, right? But it's not actually hospitality. Hospitality is the lover of strangers. The one who is hospitable is the lover of strangers. Do you have a place where you can have a common meal with someone? I'd encourage you to invite them in. Invite them over to that. Talk about Jesus. This happened to me. Uh, Chase Stubblefield used to be a member here. Uh, He lived at Varsity House, which is a Christian house in the area. And uh, Chase just one day just invited me over for a meal at Varsity House, VH, in their common room. And we sat and talked about Jesus while a bunch of college guys, I think, were surrounding, like, who is this old dude in the house who I've never seen him before? He has gray hair. It's a little weird. But Chase and I just sat around, talked about Jesus and what Jesus was doing in his life and my life. Chase was discipling me and others through his hospitality. You can do the same, friend. I use Chase because he didn't have a home. He didn't, he didn't have a, you know, a single residence home. He just used whatever he had. There was a free meal. Come, will you come talk to me about God? That's how we can love our neighbor as ourselves, Friends, I would love for the culture of our church to be that no one enters the doors of this church without a bunch of people saying hello and asking how they're doing. There's no, no old timer comes and goes without someone talking to them. No new timer, you know, no first timer comes into this assembly without a bunch of people going up and saying, hey, I, I don't think I've ever met you before. My name's Doug. Uh, how did you hear about the branch? And is this your first time here? And, and, and I'd love to have lunch with you after church. A never alone Sunday. A Sunday where no one's alone. Everyone's invited in. You're, you're invited into each other's houses and each other's go, going out to lunch together and hanging out and getting coffee. This is one way you can love one another. In a culture where hospitality might seem off-putting, it shows the gospel. Love your neighbor as yourself. How about in our neighborhoods and communities? I just encourage you to be in your neighborhood and invite your friends for a meal or over to play a game or, or do a wine tasting. Show them that Christians are normal human beings that can carry on conversations. Christians are people who can have informed opinions about the most important questions of life. And it's not that complicated, friends. Love your neighbor the way you love yourself, the way you provide for yourself, the way you protect yourself, the way you want to be received. You receive others.
And so what could the scribe say to all of this? What Jesus was saying, love your neighbor as yourself. What, what could the scribe say to all of this? Well, what he says to Jesus is right on, Jesus. This is, this is what I would have said. This is how I would have answered. And so the scribe has a most important agreement with Jesus. In verses 32 and 33, Mark tells us that Jesus, he notices the wisdom of the man's response. The man was wise. Well, he was wise in part because he agreed with Jesus. He agreed with the Son of Man. But I think there are two parts to this uh, revelation that Mark gives us that Jesus thinks this man is wise and he thinks, and he tells him that he's close to the kingdom. Why does he do that? What is wise about this man's response? Well, notice it in verses 32 and 33. The man says, he is, you are right, Jesus. God is one and there's no other besides him. The, the, the reason Jesus thinks this is a wise statement and why the scribe is close to the kingdom is because it is true. He agrees with truth. And the truth of that statement was standing before the man. What do I mean? This was an Old Testament Orthodox confession, right? That God is one, there's no one besides him. You know, from Deuteronomy, through, from the law to the prophets in Isaiah, all the scriptures testify to this truth. You know, Deuteronomy, we already saw it in Deuteronomy, but in, in Isaiah, uh, it testifies to the same truth, that there is one God, there is one Lord. Just a couple verses to show you that that's the case. Isaiah 37.20 says this, so, so now, Lord our God, save us from his, that Sennacherib's hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. This is the testimony of all the Old Testament. Isaiah 43.10 says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. Isaiah 44, 6 says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer. The Lord, King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. So one point, uh, one of the main points of Isaiah, that Isaiah is making is that the suffering servant and the one true God are one and the same person. He is both the king of Israel and his redeemer, and Israel's redeemer. He's the Lord of armies. So when Jesus shows up on the scene in Israel, and John the Baptist and God himself at Jesus' baptism testifies to this fact that Jesus is both the Lord of Isaiah and he is the suffering servant. He was the man, the scribe, was close to the kingdom in several ways. Because the king of the kingdom is right in front of him. 
And he, the scribe, was agreeing with this king, the, the suffering king, Jesus Christ. This, this man is so close to the kingdom. The second statement that shows this man's wisdom and the nearness to the kingdom was that these two commands were greater than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. The, the, the double law of love is greater than the sacrificial system that the Old Testament said was necessary to be right with God. He was getting it. This was the purpose for which we were created, to love God supremely and love others truly. And Jesus, the suffering king, was standing right before him. But there's a problem. There is a problem. And I don't know if you picked up on it, picked up on the problem, but the, the reason this man came close to the kingdom and is not in the kingdom is the same reason we are all born outside the kingdom. It's the same reason we have to be brought into the kingdom by God. We are outside the kingdom precisely because we have not loved God with our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. And we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. You see, this God's demand of loving God and loving our neighbor as ourself is not good news. They are a schoolmaster pointing this man and you to ask the next question. What if, what if I fail to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and my neighbor as myself? What if you have? Friend, we have all failed. Every one of us have failed. Not only because we're children of Adam, but because we choose to sin every day. We had to discipline one of our sons this week. Oh, I said I was going to say he or she. It's out now, though. I have three sons, and uh, we, were dis we had to discipline one of them because he hit a sibling. And uh, we had to have consequences for hitting a sibling because you can't get away with that, uh, at least if we know about it. So in response to this discipline, this uh, correction of his behavior, this consequence, uh, he said, you know, it's all because of stupid Adam and Eve. I hate them. They made me sin. And you know, uh, truer words couldn't be spoken. But it's only a half-truth, isn't it? Right? It's Adam and Eve. It was Adam and Eve's fault, but it's also our fault. We choose to sin every day in thought, word, and deed. We have not loved the Lord our God with all of our heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourself. But the second Adam, who stood before this scribe and who stands before you now, Jesus Christ, who alone loved God with all his heart, he alone loved his neighbor as himself. He did that for you. Lived and died vicariously for you. That's in your place. He satisfied God's wrath on the cross when he cried out, Why have you forsaken me? But he 
did not stay dead. He walked out of the grave. He conquered sin and death. And in his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus was loving God with his entire being, loving his neighbor as himself. This was truly more important than any whole burnt offerings and sacrifices we could make for our sin. Jesus made them for us. A full sacrifice for us. Now this is the one who stood before this man and in just a few days would would walk the road to the cross, be nailed, be put to death, sentenced to death. For people like this scribe. And Marx leaves his readers to ponder their own hearts and whether or not they are in the kingdom. The same question for you. Are you in the kingdom or are you only close to it? Those who are in the kingdom have made a response. The most important response that Jesus withdrawing out of this man is what he, Mark started with in Mark 1.15. Jesus was preaching the gospel and saying this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. That's turn away from your sins and turn to Jesus alone for salvation. And believe the gospel, the good news, that this king is here and that he's giving up his life for you. The scribe should have known. He, he could not love God with his all. Nor could he love his neighbor as himself. And he should have said, what hope is there for me? And you should say the same thing. And you should turn to Jesus, who is our only hope in life and death. So friend, if you've never done that, you don't need anyone to do that for you. You don't need to talk to anyone about it. You can, in your own heart, Turn to him and be saved. Admit your sin. Confess your sin to him. Trust in Jesus alone to save you from your sins because of his life, death, and resurrection. He alone can save you. But if you would like to talk to someone, I would love to talk to you. There are people all over this room who would love to talk to you about that. Christian, you who have repented of your sins and believed the gospel, have been placed into the kingdom. And I said before, the order matters. You don't love God and others in order to get into the kingdom. We've all failed to do that. But because God first loved us, because God in his love took us from the kingdom of, his, uh, of darkness and placed us into the kingdom of his dear son, Jesus as the bridge to cross that chasm, you are now in a place where you can love God and love your neighbor as yourself. The Spirit is with you. He is animating and energizing your soul and your heart to do this. Doesn't it burn within you right now to be loving God? How can I do that more? How can I love my neighbor as myself? Friends, all of the response is the same for all of us. Repent and believe the gospel. Believe the good news. Jesus has done it for us.
Let's pray. Father, we, we turn to you now to please finish the, this message in our hearts. We ask that you would apply your words in ways I haven't even thought of. And I pray that we would be talking about it with each other as we go out of here on Sunday. As we have lunch with each other after we gather. As we meet together in community groups and small groups and one-to-one discipleship groups throughout the week. We would be talking about how we can love God with all of our hearts and love our neighbors as ourselves, And look to Jesus as the one who has done it and is energizing us to do it. Lord, finish your work in our hearts for your son's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.